Philippians chapter 4, for those of you that uh, maybe weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're uh, studying through uh, uh, some thoughts from God's Word about our thoughts. And uh, I'm going to start in Philippians 4 today. Sue and I have a friend who was working around the house with the capable help of his four-year-old grandson. And uh, they're working out in the yard and going on. And pretty soon the grandson looks at his grandpa and he says, Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the grandfather was thinking it was about time to get something to drink. That's what he was thinking. But he says, no, what are you thinking? And the grandson said, nothing at all. <laughs> I want to talk today about what you think about. I want to ask that question. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? More importantly, I want to ask, are you thinking what... God is thinking. God tells us that our thought life needs to be righteous. It needs to be godly. And I want to review just a little bit for those of you who might not have been here a couple of weeks ago because we laid this foundation that is so important. And the first passage we studied was this one from James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What we learn from this passage is this, your thoughts are spiritual. They aren't just something, they aren't just the, the firing of the synapses in your brain. They are spiritual in nature. They are either spiritual from above or spiritual from below. They either have their source in this world in which we live, with their ultimate source being Satan and his demon helpers. Or they come from above, that is from heaven, with their ultimate source being God himself. Because Satan rules the world, he is able to infuse the world with his way of thinking, which is diametrically opposed to God's thoughts. And again, I want to remind you that most of those thoughts and the thoughts that really trouble us don't appear to be too bad. We can all readily think of something that's just wicked, you know, like, a, like Ted Bundy killing a bunch of people. Oh, those are wicked thoughts. We'll never think those thoughts. And that's great. I hope you never do. But there are many more subtle thoughts that are infused into the world by Satan because he knows they will have a negative impact on the people of the world and on Christians. On the other hand, godly thoughts are transformational in a positive way. They lead to godly actions and the character of Christ. And I challenge you to memorize these verses. And so let's read them together, please. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you are going to do the will of God, then your behavior must be righteous. And if your behavior is going to be righteous, then your thoughts must be righteous. 
Everything that we do starts with our thoughts. And I, I just can't stress this enough, especially when you find yourself in a very hard difficulty that some might call a psychological problem. It is most often because your thoughts and some of those very subtle things have gone sideways away from God's path. And what needs to change is, the, is your mind, first of all, and your behavior, second of all. And so I've titled this uh, series of sermons, Are You Out of Your Mind? What? Hope so. That's exactly right. When I say, are you out of your mind, the answer, there, there could be several good answers. One is, I hope so. One is, I'm working on it. One is, you know, uh, far as I know, because we're supposed to be out of our mind and have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. That is the goal of this series of sermons, to challenge you, to strengthen you, as to build the mind of Christ. It's not enough that we attempt to act like Christ. We need to fill our mind with the thoughts of Christ, and that's where our behavior needs to come from. And so today, we're going to go a little farther. Today, we want to understand that godly thoughts are based in truth. Look with me, please, at Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of our good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things or think on these things now i want to start with the end of this verse in the new king james the word meditate is used in the king james and the niv the word think is used think on these things but this word is more than just saying have a thought or you know have some accidental uh, firing of those synapses in your brain the root word is the word logos, where we get our word logic from, and it speaks of an organized thought process. The key piece of information, though, you need to know about that word, meditate, is this. It's a verb in the form of a command. It's a command. God isn't saying, you know, what should be happening as you go day to day is there should be some good thoughts coming up in your mind. No, he's saying you need to choose what you're going to think about. When I was in college, I took a couple of years of Greek, trying to understand the Greek in the New Testament a little bit better, and my teacher was a very quiet, unassuming man, and he spoke in a very quiet voice. And when it would come time for a test, or, or like a midterm, we're always going, I mean, I don't know if you've ever learned a language, but I never have, even though I took two years of Greek. But every, couple, every so often, they wanted to give us a test to find out how much we knew. And there's so much material there. And so we're saying, what's going to be on the test? And, and he didn't want to tell us because he wanted us to study and learn. Duh, <laughs> you know. He was so self-centered that way. But what he would do <laughs> is he would give us clues. And he would go, well, you know. And we'd say, is this going to be on the test? Well, you know, it might be good to look at that. You know, it might be good to look at this or this. And we're sitting there going like that. Well, what we learned after a couple of sessions like that was, that was him screaming. <laughs> that was him saying, this will be on the test. 
and we learned to pay attention, but he was very tentative in the way he communicated it. God is not tentative here. God is saying, listen, folks, get a hold of your mind with both hands and choose to think these kinds of thoughts. It's very active. Um, the verse that I skipped over, I want to go back to right here. Look at this. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you think it's possible to bring every thought that you have into the captivity, that is to take a hold of it so that every thought honors the Lord? Ooh, you're all, you're all giving me that good church stare, but I know what you're thinking because I know how hard that is for me. But here's what I'm telling you. If God calls you to it, God will empower it. Now next week we're going to talk in particular about what I would call training, your, or the training you need to go through for your thoughts to be righteous. Today we're going to focus on the content. Sufficient to say this, God sets a high standard. And he says your thoughts need to be righteous. So what are those righteous thoughts? First of all, those righteous thoughts are based in truth. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, think on those things. And if we're going to understand what is true, then we, we ought to think about a common falsehood that plagues our thought life. And that common falsehood is what might be. What do we usually call this thinking, class? Worry. Worry, Worry is thinking about what might be, what could be. And we look into the future with our x-ray vision and we go, oh, I see trouble, I see difficulty. And the result of worry is anxiety. We get anxious, we get fearful. Anxiety is the fear of the future based on what we can foresee and predict. It could be as simple as the fact that we have a hard time getting up for work and we're all worked up because, oh, I just know I'm going to be late to work and the boss is going to chew me up tomorrow. And, uh, and that's what we meditate on all day long. And, and we wonder why our face looks like this. And of course, it gets much bigger than that. Because sometimes we have very big things in our lives that are challenges we had a lady in a church many years ago who would go to the doctor or take her husband to the doctor, and then we'd get a phone call that the doctor said we should be ready for the worst. I remember one time going to see the husband of this lady in the hospital, and she had basically said, boy, it isn't good, you know, it should be ready for the worst. And I go to visit him, and I say, hi, so-and-so, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, you know. This lady loved to think about what might be that was bad. I don't know why some people are that way. I like to hope for the best. <laughs> you know, I like to put on those rosy colored glasses a lot of times. What is true? What is true in regard to our future? What is true in regard to your future? I can tell you what's true in regard to your future. It's right here. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, 
The birds of the air, for they neither sow, they don't reap, they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need these things. That is what is true about your future. God knows what you need. God knows what is coming tomorrow. But you, instead of worrying about the future, you make it your goal today to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is true about your future is that it's in God's hands. Now, you can spend all your time thinking about it and being anxious about it and worrying and chewing and getting ulcers and all that stuff, but it's not going to change anything, is it? But God says you can rest if you will think true thoughts. There's another common falsehood, and that's the falsehood called what feels right. What feels right. And I, I could have called this one the sensual feel falsehood. And by sensual, I don't, I don't mean sexual particularly. I mean sensual. It's things we can touch, taste, feel. And it's best illustrated by the chorus of the old pop song, it goes like this. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Hmm? Isn't that the way people choose how to live their lives these days? They look around and say, boy, that sure feels good. I think I'm going to do that some more. And that's, how, that's the basis of their life rather than the basis being truth. Truth. What we generally call a feeling, you know, we use the term, well, I feel this way, I feel that way, I just feel, you know, that sort of thing. That thing that we call a feeling is a reflexive response to any given situation based on what seems to automatically pop up when presented with a circumstance. You know, we see something, we experience something, and there's this, boom, there's this response to it. And we go, well, that doesn't feel good, or that feels good, or I don't know how I feel about that. And it's this kind of whatever comes up type of thing. We appeal to this concept when our plan of action may not match what others think is wise. Somebody comes along and says, yeah, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, I, I really feel this is the right thing. And when somebody comes along and says, I don't think that's right, say, you got no business judging me, I feel this is right. The reality we need to face is that this kind of thought, it's not an emotion, it's a thought, has its source here. All that is in the world, the lust or the strong desire of the flesh, the strong desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Remember, we looked at the fact that Satan influences and infuses the world and the world presses on us through the media, through our friends, through all of our experiences 
and then things well up from there. Look at, look at this verse here. Eve, when she's tempted by Satan. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Did, did you see that? The flesh, the eyes, the pride. Look at that. The flesh, the eyes, the pride. That's exactly what she did. She took a look at this input that came from Satan and she said, well, that feels good. And she followed her feelings. And that's the reason for the mess we're in. Right? What does God tell us about living by our desires? We should deny ungodliness and worldly desires and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. The word soberly here, uh, its literal meaning is just that, sober, as in not being drunk. But it's when, it, when it's used in this sense, it's not talking about alcohol or that kind of drunkenness. It's saying, it's using it as a metaphor. When a person takes in a bunch of alcohol, they don't think right. Because the alcohol is dulling their senses and so on, and, and not even their walking is straight because their mind doesn't work. And so there's a metaphor for spirituality here. And he says, look, the way you should live your life is not by the desires that well up, but you need to have your mind fully engaged so that you make good choices about how you're going to live. And those choices start with our thought life. We need to be thinking about what is true. And the only way we can know what is true is to come back to the Bible. There are many other falsehoods, and we're going to spend some time talking about a few of those in the weeks to come. These falsehoods that appeal to our fleshly feelings. Here's one. You've heard this one even on the Christian TV. If you can dream it, you can do it. That is not in the Bible. But it really appeals to my human nature because I sit around and go, yeah, 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 I think I can do this. If it works, it's good. Whatever works. I had a Christian police officer one time tell me, he, I was riding with him, not here, and I was in another place, and he got out of the car and went out and chewed out a street person with loud talking and cursing. This is a fellow who had worked for a Christian ministry full-time before he came to be a police officer. And when he got back in the car, he said, that's the way you have to talk to those people, because if you don't talk to them that way, they won't respect you. Is that true? Is that true for a Christian? Does God say it's okay to talk ungodly one time and godly another time? No, that's a falsehood. But you know what? It works. Now, I'm not advocating it. Don't get me wrong here. When a police officer with a gun and about 40 pounds of other stuff around his waist gets out and talks rough to you, you're going, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> so it works, but it's not true. And we can do things like that as Christians. We can, we can manipulate through guilt or through uh, uh, angry talking or all kinds of things. We can manipulate people around us, and it works. I've had people tell me all kinds of things. Well, I'm going to do such and so. Well, that's not right. Yeah, I know, but I'm just going to say that because it'll make him do this or that. Friends, truth, truth, truth. Whatever is true, 
think on these things and do these things. And ultimately, as I said, this is the, the, the prime source of truth for us. Jesus said, sanctify or make them righteous by your truth. Your word is truth. I would submit to you today, and I will continue to do it till I die, that the, the, the source of truth you need is right here. And if you don't know how to think, you search the scriptures because God will tell you how to think. We could speak our whole time on truthfulness, but we've got to go on, and I want to touch on these other words that are in Philippians 4 as well. Godly thoughts are about things that are noble. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble. The word could be translated honorable. The King James uses the word honest. You see, some things can be true, but not worthy of respect. In speaking of the sinful actions of the world, God says this, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. There are many things that are true that have actually happened in the world that you should not think about. Now, I'm not saying we should bury our heads in the sand and have no awareness of the world. I read the newspaper every day, and I do it on purpose because I want to know a little bit about what's going on in the world and a little bit about what's going on in Whatcom County. And that's what I get, just a little, because the paper's about that thick right there. So I, I understand awareness, but there's a difference between awareness of the world and dwelling on the thoughts of the stuff that's going on. Whatsoever is honorable or worthy of respect, telling a big juicy story about someone's failure might be true, but not worthy of respect. The stuff in the tabloids at the grocery store might be true. Nobody really knows. But even if it is true, it's not worthy of respect. You see? So the standard isn't just true like, well, you know, I've heard people say, well, I just speak my mind. You know, I am absolutely true. As though that is the ultimate virtue. It is not. God's virtues are all held together and so we have to think about what is true and what is noble or worthy of respect. The third word that he puts in the list here, godly thoughts are about things that are righteous. The word just is used in the New King James. Some things that are true, as in sin, they truly happen, but they're not righteous. And we need to say, how can I think about things that are true and worthy of respect and righteous? I should not be meditating on ways to get around the law. You know, I think if I do this and this and this and this, I can dodge this. God says, no, obey the law. Trying to justify an ungodly action. Well, I know they did this and this and this, but you don't, you know, I'm going to do this and that, but look at what they did and how terrible it was. And there's this thought pattern that goes on. Can I justify my behavior? That's an unrighteous thought right from the beginning. To meditate on the ways to defend your wrong actions is itself unrighteous. If we're going to act righteously, we've got to think of ways to accomplish righteousness. 
Romans 6.13 is a verse that does have a primary application to, to our behavior, but it also needs to be applied to our thoughts. Do not present the parts of your body, your hands, feet, eyes, ears, and so on, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Your mind is one of the things in your body, and it needs to be presented to God to think righteously. Godly thoughts are about things that are righteous. Number four, godly thoughts are about things that are pure. Probably the best literal understanding of this word is free from defilement. A Christian should never say, I have a joke. It might be a little off color. You want to hear it? You see, because the problem is you shouldn't want to say it or think it. Now, in all of this stuff that I'm saying today, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not standing here saying I have conquered every one of these challenges. I'm not. I'm a fellow traveler, but this is how I have to work at it. God says that thinking about sex with your spouse is pure, but thinking about it with somebody else's spouse isn't pure. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her or to have desire, sexual desire for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a sin. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that it's a sin, but it is. Looking at pornography is a sin because the thoughts that go on are sinful. You know, one of the the worst lies of the evil one in my generation, is this, it's just a physical thing. It's just a physical thing. Yeah, I look at pornography, but I don't cheat on my wife. Oh, really? That verse right there says you do. Our thought life needs to be pure. I had a pastor friend, a pastor friend, who told me about a pastor friend of his who wrote a book trying to explain how sexual fantasy is normal and healthy because you're not actually doing the wrong thing and it gives you an outlet for all those thoughts. I was pretty young in the ministry. If I'd have been there today, I probably would have jumped up from the table and said, What in the world are you thinking? Don't you read the Bible? At the time, I just, I I went, What? And maybe that's why just a few years after that, my pastor friend was found to have been having an affair for 10 years. Could the problem have started in his thought life? Duh. Listen, folks, you need to take your thoughts seriously. Because as you think, you will act. It's only a matter of time. If your thoughts are wicked, they need to be changed. And obviously, this is, this is not a subtle thinking, except it's, it's more subtle in, our, in the world's eyes. Our thoughts need to be pure. Number five, godly thoughts are about things that are lovely. Um, and I, I'm going to confess a challenge to you here. In studying this, 
None of the commentaries I read, including the venerable John MacArthur, gave me good definitive material to really explain each one of these words and why they're different on the list from the others. And so I've taken a stab at each one based on what I can find in my Greek lexicon and scour from the rest of the scripture. And so I'm going to give you a little space to keep working on it. But as I thought of the word lovely, it's an interesting word. It's the word for friendship. Those of you that know Greek a little bit, philos, phileo, brotherly love. And a little prefix with it, toward brotherly love. Something that is, and, and the idea of brotherly love in the scripture has to do with something that's kind of a natural affection. Agape love is when we choose to do right no matter what the cost and it's a sacrifice and so on. But the, the brotherly love is sort of like when you have a cold, I understand what that's like because I've had a cold. I can feel that, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's something along this line of, of things that are that in our human condition. So as I thought about things that are lovely, I thought, what is really lovely? What have I seen that's really lovely? Well, one of the lovely things I've seen is my two grandsons playing together. One of them's a year older, nine months older than the other one. So he's, you know, a little head. They play around stuff. And then when the little cousin girl gets in the mix and she just, you know, and one of them goes up there and gives her a kiss. That's lovely. That's beautiful. One of the translations that some have made for this word is beautiful. I don't know how to put that into thought, but I know that we can look in our head and see things that are lovely and we can see things that are ugly. And God says your thoughts should be lovely. Our thoughts need to be lovely. And of course, all of these words are existing together. True, uh, worthy of respect, righteous, and lovely, all of that together. Our thoughts need to have a lovely tone to them. Number six, godly thoughts are about things which are admirable. The King James and the New King James both uses the word good report. Or to be well spoken of, it would be a very literal translation of this word. You've heard the old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. We might be tempted to translate that this way. If you don't have anything good to think, don't think anything at all. There's a problem with that. What is it? You can't think nothing. If I tell you right now, quick, think about nothing. <laughs> I guarantee you, something came to your mind. And so, don't try to think about nothing. Try to think about something that is worthy of respect. It's admirable. It has a good report. We get rid of the old by putting in the new. And, and this is one of those places where we have to say, what is something that is worth thinking about? Philippians 1, 3 to 6, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of my making request for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who hath begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Now, if you're in Philippians 4, look at Philippians 4, 1. Okay, what I just read is from the beginning of Philippians. Now in Philippians 4, 1, Paul talks to the pastor of the Philippian church. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. I implore 
Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Do you understand what that little reference means? Yodia and Syntyche, one of them meant fragrance and the other meant, oh, I can't remember the other one, but it was a similar kind of name. And do you understand that those two women were like this? And Paul says, hey, pastor, help those women get along. Okay. You're going, yeah, believe me, Dave, been there, done that. Here's how it relates, though, to our thought life. Look what the Apostle Paul said about the Philippian people. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And yet clearly he knew Yodi and Syntyche weren't getting along. Couldn't he, have, couldn't he have opened up the epistle going, Hey, stop it! Right? That's what I would have done. <laughs> and that's why i got to learn to think differently. Because the Apostle Paul, he looked over there at Philippi and he said, Wow, I'm so thankful for you guys. When I pray, I say thank God for you because you helped me in the gospel ministry and because God is at work in you. And so he looked at those people. He didn't have to bear down in his mind on their faults and how terrible they were. Those two women, man, I wish I could be there in person to tell them what for. No, he said, I'm thankful for you. Somehow, that comes together with this idea of thinking those things that are worthy of respect or admirable. When you think about people, it may be a real work sometimes, but you need to say, what is good about them? What have they done that's good? What are they to me that's good? And I will choose to think about that. I will not choose to meditate on what is terrible in their character. Number seven, godly thoughts are about things that are virtuous. The NIV says excellent. And this word has the idea of inherent goodness. 2 Peter 1.3 speaks of Christ as possessing virtue. And so I would ask the question, are your thoughts about things which possess inner moral excellence? For instance... If you meditate, if you think in the morning on how to get people to compliment your appearance, that is not a thought full of inner moral excellence. It's a thought full of pride. If you are thinking about how you can get a certain man or a woman to pay attention to you, that is selfish ambition, not moral excellence. If you're trying to figure out, if you're thinking about how to avoid doing the hard work at home or school or job, that's selfishness. That's not moral excellence. God says, choose thoughts that are based on inner moral excellence. Godly thoughts are about things that are praiseworthy. If there is anything that is praiseworthy, this is the last word in the list. Let me ask you a couple of questions that maybe will help you to focus this word in. Would I tell someone else what I am thinking? If I told another mature Christian what I am thinking, would they rebuke me or say, thanks for sharing, that was a blessing? 
Because if what we're thinking can't be shared with others, then there's something wrong with what we're thinking. Now, I understand there are some private things, you know, that maybe you only share with your doctor or whatever. I'm not saying you, God commends us to tell everything to everybody. But the question is, is your thought of such a nature that it's worthy of praise, that it's worthy of being thought well of? There may be challenges in our life, people who are hard to get along with and circumstances we find challenging, but the godly Christian actively thinks on what is good and worthy of commendation in those situations. Now, the last thought that I want to share with you, which is not specifically on this list, but is sort of a summary, is this. Godly thoughts are crafted by the Word of God. See, if I were to ask you today, do you have any ungodly thoughts, I would expect all of you to find one or two things that you wrestle with, and some of you might even be honest enough to have a big list. Okay? But there's a fundamental problem that we have that keeps us from accurate self-evaluation, and that problem is our own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so when it comes to self-evaluation of our thoughts, we're at a deficit going in. You don't know how many of your thoughts are necessarily wicked and how many of them righteous. Some of them you can readily identify. While we might know some of the thoughts that need to change, our flesh constantly tempts us. Not only that, but there is a constant stream of ungodly thoughts coming from the world, many of which are so subtle that we may not readily recognize how ungodly they are. Which means that the only way we can have godly thoughts is to be constantly taking in God's truth. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you have a daily habit of taking this in. If you have a daily habit of listening to godly music. Your thoughts will be constantly strengthened, challenged, evaluated. If. Your input is primarily ungodly. When I go to the grocery store, I always walk along the meat cooler to see what's on sale. Meat is one of the more expensive parts of the meal. Even hamburger isn't cheap anymore. Sometimes when I buy a piece of meat, I'll go, well, it was hamburger price. You know, I mean, if a roast is that cheap, I'll buy the roast. So I always check out what's on sale, and I try to keep a few things in the freezer. Last week, when uh, we knew missionaries were going to stay with us, and when we knew most of our children were also going to get their feet under our table at the same time, somewhat unexpectedly, I went out and I opened the freezer up, and uh, there's, a, there's a nice big ham that was on sale sometime. I thought, well, great, I got this giant ham, and I pulled that thing out. This week, it's Mother's Day, I think, well, what do we got in the freezer? Open the freezer up, it's a nice big beef roast in there. I said, yeah, that's just about right, get that thing out. Got a whole bunch of fish in there, thanks to Vern Nelson, goes to Alaska. and You know, I have a ministry to Vern. <laughs> because he has to stop fishing when his freezer gets full. And so he sends me a bunch of fish, and, and we both rejoice together. <laughs> we usually have some bread in the freezer. We always have some homemade freezer jam from last summer. If the power goes out for any extended period of time, you come to my house, we'll fire up the gas grill, and we'll eat good for a couple of days. 
You need to shop for your thoughts from God's Word only. Every time you need a thought, you need to go open up that door of God's Word and go, oh, let's see, what should I be thinking today? Oh, there it is. There it is right there. That's what I need. And I guarantee you, if you do that, your behavior will change. And probably the thing that you're most after will change. And that is your joy. Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us what to think. I'm sure to the people of the world that sounds like we're a bunch of robots. Maybe even to somebody here today that just seems like a crazy way to live. But I thank you for the liberating freedom of your word in my mind. Father, help us to only get our thoughts from your truth and help us to have an increasingly godly thought life. I pray in Christ's name, amen.